Welcome to the Wandering Toward Wisdom podcast, where Dr. Joel Schwartz and I, Travis, discuss the intersection of faith and philosophy. We are part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Please visit our site at tacticalfaith.com, check out our blog, our other podcasts, and if you live in Alabama or nearby, we would love to see you at one of our events. If you'd like to help support our ministry, please pray for us, share us with your friends, and consider supporting us financially by going to the Donate tab on our page. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Joel. And this is Travis. And today we're going to uh, uh, kind of build off of something that Travis uh, posted on the website somewhat recently, um, but also tie it in with some of our other podcasts. And um, talking about the idea of faith and value. And I mean, that, that, I'm sure that sounds like a you know, massive topic and you just checked the podcast to make sure this wasn't a five hour podcast. Um, but, um, we want to try and dig into the idea of faith. What is faith? What is faith not? Um, how is faith misunderstood? Um, and how does faith connect with value? Um, how does faith connect with love and hope? Um, so we're, we're going to start down this path. How far we are going to get is anyone's guess. Um, but we're going to try and dig into some of those ideas today and, um, and, and see what we can find. All right. So one of the, one of the questions or one of the things that keeps coming up, in fact, what, what kind of spurred this on, and this is an, uh, what kind of spurred on the issue of talking about faith is the consistent, um, confrontation that I see between, uh, people of faith and now I'm just I'm just going to talk about Christians in general here uh, or Christians not necessarily people of, of other faiths even though that that may come into play too we'll we'll see how this develops but uh, conflicts between those between Christians and atheists over the issue of faith and it's partly because I think Christians are sort of unclear on what faith is particularly in the in the realm of apologetics or maybe there's even a clash between those involved in apologetics and what we might and other Christians who are not necessarily involved in apologetics. And the issue is something like this. Um, is faith a legitimate uh, epistemic attitude or is it uh, a virtue? Uh, we might say an intellectual virtue to have faith. So is faith something that helps us discover truth about reality? Um, and if it is not just if it, if it is, uh, but, uh, is there any kind of evidence that we can, that, that we, uh, in talking of faith or in, in having faith, do we, are we believing things without evidence in such a way that we're unable to have re, uh, rational, uh, conversations with people? I would use the word argument, uh, in the philosophical sense, that is, we're not necessarily fighting, but presenting rational arguments with premises that lead to a conclusion. Is that a part of faith or is it not a part of faith? In the apologetic realm, there seems to be sort of the attitude that there is enough, there is sufficient evidence to prove that you should believe the claims of Christianity and uh, hopefully then give your life to Christ and so on and so forth. I think from for a lot of us, we might say that faith is not a um, does not actually have sufficient evidence. In fact, uh, uh, Joseph Pieper. His, his uh, little book on faith, he actually starts off by giving definitions of belief, uh, which he's using as sort of a, 
a synonym for faith here and how belief is distinct from knowledge and it and he some of the definitions that come are uh things like this conviction of the truth of a given proposition resting upon grounds insufficient to constitute positive knowledge so belief is or faith is believing stuff when you don't have enough evidence. If that's true, then don't the atheists and those who claim, look, give evidence, give rational argumentation, so on and so forth, aren't they right in criticizing those who have faith, uh, criticizing them for, and this isn't, these aren't, this isn't the language that they'd use, but it's the language I would use, uh, suffering from intellectual vice, well, from being sloppy in their thinking and so forth? Now, now, you said, you know, the idea of, of believing something without sufficient evidence. What, what's required for the evidence to be sufficient? I mean, I, I think that's a, 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 a question we need to get on the table is, um, at what point do we say, okay, now I have enough evidence to believe or to, to, to hold this as, as um, not just a belief, but, but as, as something like knowledge say, or, or to say, I, ha, I, I have legitimate faith. That's not ridiculous. Well, I think a lot of that depends on, on, well, a number of things. We could go through an apostle, an epistemology course. We could bring up uh, Clifford's uh, the ethics of belief. We could bring up William James uh, far better, uh, his superior response to Clifford. Um, and talking about this, I, a lot of it depends on on what it is that we're talking about, mm-hmm. um, how uh, momentous it might be, how important it is, uh, things like that. But the question might be something. I mean, I think let, let's focus in on the question, on the specific question: What kind of evidence would be sufficient for me to not simply believe that Jesus rose from the dead? which is kind of one of the key elements to Christianity, right? That Jesus is who he said he is mm-hmm. and that he rose from the dead. But what kind of evidence would be sufficient for me to surrender my life to serving Jesus? It seems like you would need a lot of evidence. Um, I, yes. I mean, I, you know, I, not to to get too confessional, but you know, I think about my my own life that I you know say I'm, I'm surrendered to Jesus, but how much of my life uh, demonstrates that? But that's a, probably a discussion for another time, maybe with another with not on a podcast, um, but maybe before a priest, <laughs> if I were Catholic. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, talking about the idea of um, you know, surrendering our lives uh, is, you know, when I think about what would I use that language for and, you know, anything that's not religious and, you know, you could make a case and I don't mean this in a sarcastic way. Um, but, you know, when, when, when I got married, I kind of was willing to surrender my life and in some uh, early surrender my uh, priority of myself. Um, but, um, Apart from that, there there just aren't many things we do in life that require a surrender of ourselves like that. Right. Um, it's hard to compare it to it's 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 hard to compare it in any kind of full sense. I think we get little glimpses of it, um, and it's probably not for no no reason that 
Paul compares the relationship between the church and Jesus to, uh, or I should say, he compares the marriage relationship to uh, the prototype, uh, which is the relationship between Jesus and the church, or I should say the anti-type to get strictly theological, um, that surrendering to one another in the way that one does in a relationship is, or in specifically in the case of how it's described in Paul and pardon me if this sounds misogynistic, but the surrender of the wife to the husband is like the surrender of the church, uh, to Jesus. Um, and, uh, and by the way, there's submission of both ways. I know, I know what Ephesians says. So, uh, uh, if we, uh, what kind of evidence would be sufficient for that? Well, I think a lot of people, I think it seems reasonable from, and I'm using that word maybe in scare quotes. It seems reasonable from, from the perspective of an atheist to say, listen, if I'm going to give up this much, I need objective, uh, objective evidence that proves that this is the case and that it is in my best interest to make this kind of surrender. And I think most Christians would say, listen, if Christianity is true, it's clearly in your best interest to surrender your life to Christ. What, how, how should a Christian respond to, to the issue of, is, is, is faith a, a, does faith provide us with reliable information about the world? That is, and by the, by the world, I mean all things that are. So reliable information about God, about what is the case um, with Christ, uh, was he who he said he was, and so on and so forth. Is faith a reliable resource? And it seems to me that we can say clearly it's not, because people have faith in all kinds of things, uh, including some things that, if they're true, then obviously Christianity is not true, and if Christianity is true, they're not true. Um, faith leads people to do terrible acts, uh, or can lead people to do terrible acts and so on and so forth. So what is there about faith that makes it a reasonable resource if Christians, in fact, believe it is a reasonable resource? Or uh, it is an, I should, instead of saying a reasonable resource, let's say it is an intellectual virtue. It is a way that, that the mind should function if it's appropriately relating to the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think we're 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 starting down down the path of discussing if you know how one could move from desiring what you referred to as objective evidence um, to finding faith to be sufficient for for action. Well, maybe maybe what we should do is examine some of these ideas, right? Like, what does objective mean? <laughs> and uh, do we have, is there such thing as, ob as objective? I don't want to say objective truth. Um, I think that's a little trickier, but is there such thing as a person who possesses objectivity? And, and I realize this is a trick. This is a tricky question because I feel like there are people who, 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 are obsessed with what we might call objective evidence, which supposes that they themselves have an objective mind that can perceive whether it's objective evidence. Right. 
uh, and they can be very critical of things like faith. On the other hand, we can say those who just reject objectivity altogether, and therefore all that matters is some sort of narrative, and they're oppressive, and there's no truth, and so on and so forth. We don't want to go clear. That doesn't seem... I don't even know what to do with that. That's like being thrown in the middle of the ocean and, and told to, you know, start a farm. And so, um, how, how should a Christian who embraces the idea of faith, and I'm just simply going to say that faith does not provide sufficient objective, that if you live in faith, or maybe I should just say this, there is not evidence of Christianity that makes it absolutely certain that it's true. Objectively certain that it's true. Um, I think I can say that. And that's where, that's where faith comes in. But the question is, and I know that that could get me in a lot of trouble with a lot of people in apologetics, but it's not that I don't have confidence, right. uh, a great confidence that, that it's true enough to devote my life. In fact, I feel like, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, invoke a little bit of, uh, Kierkegaard's thought here. If I were to receive objective certainty or, the closest approximation to objective certainty I can receive uh, with scientific evidence and so on and so forth, I could never commit my life to Christ. I could never fully give myself. Right. Uh, that I would always be waiting to make sure the next peer-reviewed article didn't undermine the findings uh, that I had embraced. So what do we do with object? That's that's a that's a whole that's a whole big mess of stuff. But that's what happens here. So you get you get on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and you talk about some sort of evidence for Christianity, and someone says, "Well, I need more evidence. I need evidence that Jesus rose from the dead." And you you know you pick up uh, 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 Wallace. I, I, I'm forgetting his name, and I'm I'm kind of embarrassed by it. Or you pick up Gary Habermas's work or whatever, and you say, "Here's all the arguments." that uh um that uh that jesus rose from the dead yeah but it's historical evidence it happened two thousand years ago you can't really be confident you're you're basing it upon what people have said and how they lived afterwards and so on and so forth it's not entirely clear that he rose from the dead they maybe they just they all took mushrooms about that time and decided to run off and die for the sake of this experience that they had um uh so what is to devote one's life to something? It seems like you need some sort of objective certainty. And yet arguably it is the case that objective certainty undermines the commitment of one, one to it. Why might that be the case? Or maybe I need to explain myself why, why I say that. Um, one way of looking at it might be something like this. To commit your life to someone, to truly give yourself to someone, you have to admit that they have authority. And it strikes me that the demand for evidence is automatically put in, putting whatever it is that you're trying to be proved. So let's say I'm trying to prove that Jesus is Lord. Let's just summarize the gospel as Jesus is Lord. I, I stand apart from that and I say, listen, you need to, Jesus needs to prove himself to me that he is Lord. But once you've done that, the, the very, the very nature of 
when you once you ask that question, you're already claiming in the question that Jesus isn't Lord. You're saying, "I right. am Lord." Jesus must prove himself to me, or, or you know, to to make it me even more, um, more relatable I, for for some people. You know, you think about if if your spouse said, you know, if you're married, if your spouse said to you, "Prove to me that you love me." And, you know, you can do all these things and then your spouse is the skeptical uh, person who's like, well, you just might be saying that, you know, for X, Y, or Z, or you might have done that for X, Y, or Z. You know, if, if the position is one of demanding proof, then you're not giving that a person the, um, the authority that you know, to, to act in your life in a way that could hurt you or, or, or help you or, um, but really influence you, um, unless you are willing to kind of, to, to cede some of the authority away from yourself and, and to them. Yeah. It's almost like if you're going to and this is really focused in on notice that every every example we're giving is, is is has something to do with a person to to have the only way to build relationships like love surrender hope and i could bring the word faith in here but that's what we're talking about in relation to someone requires that you put yourself in a position of being able to be hurt by them or being able to be duped by them or being able to be made the fool of by them. In short, making yourself vulnerable to them, exposing yourself to being to being hurt by them. And so if I if I say something like to my wife, you must prove to me that that you love me before I ever commit myself to you, the relationship will never get anywhere, right? Uh if I say to if I say about you and this is this is a problem. Like I can hear an atheist going, "Yeah, right. I'm going to First, I need to submit myself to Jesus as Lord before I get evidence that he's Lord. Are you out of your mind? Like that's this child, most childish, immature way of approaching anything, any kind of bit of knowledge. Um, and so I say, listen, just become a Christian and then you'll believe that Christianity is true. And he's like, but I've already become a Christian. <laughs> like, of course, I'm going to believe it's true because now I'm brainwashed into Christianity. So it seems like we're in this sort of catch 22 situation but but i but i think that that the what you know you you know what the words you put in the atheist's mouth are just not the way that our beliefs work i mean i, th I think even as as you know to become a christian isn't this intellectual um an intellectual decision where you're like okay i have i am accepting these facts and therefore now i am a christian um but becoming a Christian is an element of kind of trying, you know, trying a new way of, of living where you're not in charge. Um, and so when, when in, in a way, when, when, when we let the atheists make this strictly an intellectual thing, I think we've, we've kind of given away the, 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 the game. So that's that's interesting. Um, 
So let me let me uh, let me set this out there. So it seems to me that one of the one of the beauties of science, one of the great things about science, is we are. It gets us past the dangers of opinion, of prejudice, and so on and so forth by establishing an authority to which all must submit intellectually. Right. So you, you have to be able to do the experiment. It's got to be repeatable. It's got to be right. It's got to be, you know, peer reviewed, repeatable, or at least in theory, repeatable. Right. I can't I can't, you know, do stuff to find the Higgs boson because I don't have a particle accelerator in my yard. So um, nevertheless, uh, it's in theory repeatable and using the same equipment, you can repeat it and so on and so forth. So that what science does is it, is it takes authority out of the hands of say the church saying that the earth is at the center of the solar system or center of the universe and puts it in the hands of scientists who do objective measurement that then gets us away from opinion and the dangers of personal prejudice, opinion, so on and so forth. And now what I'm saying is that there's a danger here when you're talking about Christianity or really any belief system in relation to a person. I'm saying as soon as you demand scientific-like scientific -like evidence that the person loves you or that Jesus is Lord or whatever, you're automatically putting yourself in authority. And that other person, and instead of being vulnerable, so that person, you actually need to give that authority out to that other person. So that sounds a little bit great, but let me let me say it briefly. It seems like one of the great things about science is it takes authority away from individuals and puts it out in some sort of objective world um, that everyone else that everyone must submit to. What we're saying is, if I try to use those same standards, say in a relationship in, with my wife to prove that she loves me, I'm in fact take I'm in fact taking the authority into myself. And saying that you must submit to my standards. Um, so the same sort of demand for evidence when we're talking about, you know, what kind of quarks there are or whatever is different. Uh, the, the center of authority there is out in the world, you might say. But as soon as I apply that, those same standards of research to relationships the authority become, I become the authority. Does, does that make sense? I don't know if you're, I don't know if I'm, if I'm so, being very so, clear, it's like scientific measurement with, with objects puts the authority out in the objects. Scientific measurement with people puts the authority in me. So, so I, I, I think he, here we're coming to a, um, a, a big, a big thing that uh, there might be some fundamental disagreement that, I mean, might be a, a difficult thing to overcome. But um, one of the things that I, I think even in the scientific situation, I'm still the one who's holding the authority, but I'm holding it in such a way that says, I'm allowing this to speak into it, but I'm the one who's deciding to allow it to speak into it. Not that I'm actually ceding my authority. Okay. So let's, 
maybe we need to examine that a little bit quickly. Like this relates to, I think a lot of what we talked about with Kuhn and Quine and Wittgenstein right. and so on and so forth. Um, uh, in the other podcasts. And if you want to see what those are about, go check them out. Um, so maybe science isn't quite as objective as everyone seems to think it is. Is that what you're saying? I, I want to be, so we, we still haven't defined the word objective, which, which <laughs> for, for our listeners, we should probably say we had like a 15, 20 minute conversation where we, didn't define the word objective before we started recording the podcast. So, <laughs> which we probably should have nailed which, something which, down. I mean, the, the, yeah. But what I'm what I'm trying to get at is we have this vague notion of objectivity, but I what I want to say is is that we are. We, we are stuck in our own experience of the world, in our own subjective experience of the world, and we can't get outside of that to really talk about the idea, the possibility of a um, non-embodied, non-valued understanding of the world. And so, um, and so the, when we talk, when we, when we, when we talk about the idea of objectivity, it's kind of like this ideal thing that we can maybe get close to, but we can never actually arrive at. Um, and so when we talk about objectivity, what I think we're trying to say is that, and this is probably the closest we came to, to a de definition is something like everyone from their own embodied experience can look at this and come to the same conclusion. Right. Yeah. Something like publicly agreed upon claims about the world are objective claims. Yes. <laughs> or that's as close as we can get because the ideal of objectivity is actually beyond. I think it's more uh, stringent than that. But yes. in practical terms, that's and, and in practical terms, that's how it plays out. Right. What right. what is the most what is the sign that you're about to make an objective claim? You start off the phrase with scientists say. Right. That's basically the equivalent of the Old Testament. Uh, Thus saith the Lord. Right. <laughs> and I'm saying that sort of mockingly in terms of scientists say. But when people want to say want to prove that they're right, they say scientists agree that such and such is the case. Um, and what we're trying to say there is that the large, a large group of educated people who have done the research are all in public agreement. That's this is the case. Therefore it must be objectively true. And, and the, the, the pushback that, that, you know, I'm, I'm giving is, um, is that when, when, you know, even, even going to getting to that, there's a sense in which, well, these people all assumably share a set of similar values when it comes to their pursuit of information. And, um, and so the, you know, these particular values have been given, uh, additional weight, additional authority. And, um, you know, it's still a value-based 
dis- objectivity is still a value based ideal. Well, let's um, this. I think that needs to be explained. I mean, if you if you've listened to the previous podcast um, on again, every quine through Wittgenstein, you we've talked a lot about how value influences it. And Kuhn is probably Kuhn and Quine are perhaps the clearest in explaining. In, in fact, if you read Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, it's probably the simplest direct explanation of how, uh, 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 through historical examples, how it value influences particularly scientific theory that tells us about the object, the quote unquote, the objective truth about the world. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's based on the kinds of questions and problems that you that you think are the more important problems, and that will determine the theory that you hold. So, well, well e- even you know, to you know, in in philosophy, there's something called the fact value distinction, as though facts are these uh, these things that are above values. But mm-hmm. if we think about what are what what facts are, where we we start to talk about things that everyone can observe, which is actually kind of a value and, and or we're putting value on the fact that everyone can observe it. We can, we're putting value on, on it's the idea of it being something like objective, whatever that, that word means. Um, you know, we're, we're putting value on these characteristics and then saying the things that hold these things that we value are, we call facts. But if you notice, we had to talk about values to get to facts and values are at the foundation of facts. And so this doesn't mean that facts aren't important. It's just that we can't talk about something that doesn't have value. Right. Because even curiosity, the desire for truth, these are all, these are all values that drive us. And so, but not only that, I mean, we, we filter out so much of the input of the world, uh, in terms of, I, 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 I've told this to students a few times, like, you know, you could, you could do research if you really wanted to, to talk about the, the, you know, the relative, you know, how many, how many obtuse angles, rough, roughly obtuse angles exist in the clouds over Indiana on any particular day in June. I mean, people be like, why exactly? <laughs> Who cares? Right. It's, it just isn't like what, what kind of stupid qu- or, you know, what's the average fullness of a glass of 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 glasses with water in restaurants in in Birmingham, Alabama uh, on any on any particular Wednesday afternoon? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, why would anybody study that? Exactly. I mean, there's there's a there's a ton of facts out there, and a lot of our facts, a lot of facts, uh, the the kind of facts that we attend to are based on the values that we hold. We just don't care about those, and so um, and the way that we put them together, and so on and so forth, the way they're directed, is driven by what we care about, our concerns. Yeah, and and so and so an, an important move that I that is sometimes made. Um or I could see being made is this idea of share, you know, every, anyone, you know, from their subjective experience, which includes, you know, values and all that kind of stuff, 
could come to this conclusion. Therefore, this is what it means if we have no value. Um, right. Now that that's a that's a move that it's kind of like because everyone can agree, then you know value must not be involved. When on the flip side, it could be that. I'm not going to say it could be. I'm going to say it is our values that shape our understanding of things. That doesn't mean that objectivity isn't possible. It's just objectivity is something that is independent of value is, is, uh, is, is impossible for us to, to grasp. And, and from a Christian perspective, or really anyone who believes in a God who is fundamentally a good God, yeah. yeah, I think you would even argue in that case there is no one who see th- who sees things if object if objectivity is defined as v- as the perception of something that is uninfluenced by values, not even God sees things objectively, right? If if if, if we if we hold that to be the definition of objectivity, then objectivity is it's not a, it's not a well, it's not a good thing, right? <laughs> well, um, what, what happens is if you if objectivity is possible, then objectivity is not the full picture of the world. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not the. It might not even be the right. You might even say it's wrong. But objectivity really seems to be something more like it's that which it's that which connects because if value is at the ground of all of our knowledge in some way. Mm-hmm. then objectivity in practical terms simply means that which reflects the values that we all share. Yeah. Right. Wouldn't that be a better way to look at it in terms of practical, practically speaking, yeah. that's yeah. how it plays out. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's a, a good, good thing to talk about because, you know, we, we do need as a community uh, as a society, we do need to be able to come to some agreement on what is what and what what we uh, count as as uh, being certain things. Because um, if we didn't, it would it would be chaos. Um, right. Well, so uh, I I, I want to wrap this up. We're probably going to have to make this a multi part uh, multi part. Uh, a podcast to go along with a multi-part series on faith. But so what we've just done is unlike good Christians, we've just tried to rip apart the idea of objective truth or sort of like that um, by suggesting that objectivity is an impossibility. But what we are not saying, what we're not saying that there isn't a way the world is. Right. Right. We're actually not arguing that there's no objective truth. Or maybe we are, depending on how we define the word truth and how it applies to a, a possession of particular facts in propositional form. But uh, well, um, let me pause your pause and, and say a little okay. bit more on that. If if objective if objectivity requires the removal of value, then we are saying there is no objective truth. But if objective yes. truth includes value together with the objects in the world, such that that is how we fully understand the universe. Then there is objective truth, and I, 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 I'm, I want to go the latter route myself. Okay, yeah, and I think I think then we could say, and maybe this was this is a good place to end. That 
uh, let's let me just set up a hypothetical. If there is indeed, if indeed the God of Christianity is the true God, which I happen to think is the case, yep. And God is as the as Scripture explain describes Him, and that is probably the clearest explanation of who God is. Is God is love? Mm-hmm. Then it seems to me that if you're going to see the world the way it in fact is, you have to look at the world through the eyes of love, because that's how God sees the world. Right. Which means there's, we should reject claims toward strict objectivity in the sense of valuelessness. We shouldn't even want that because that would, if you try to be without value while you perceive the world, you're not going to see it correctly. Right. Yeah. And that's all based on the hypothetical. If there is a God whose fundamental, whose defining character, that the fundamental character of God is that of love, the triune God of love, then to see the world without value is to see it at least in a truncated way, yes. if not in a false way. Yeah. So that, that kind of begins to get us into what faith is. It's sort of looking at the world with the right kind of value, um, which obviously directs us the the image of the marriage where you're acting ask, asking for proof it should show us how how it relates that maybe what i needed to do is instead of demanding that my love my wife prove that she loved me maybe i should love my wife and then i'll see that she loves me right or something like that but this is getting uh this is over the 30 minute mark so i want to i want to cut it off here and uh and we'll we'll pick up maybe in the next podcast Uh, But thanks for listening. This is Travis. This is Joel. And have a great day.